Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. First 15 verses. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will multiply her, I will surely multiply her offspring, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kindred. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are God of seeing. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, it lies near Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Or to Abram. Father God, as we look at your text tonight, I pray that you would help us to unpack the meaning behind it. That you would help us to understand what you want us to see in this text, and ultimately about you and from you, Lord. God, I pray that this time would be a blessing to you and that it would honor you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Here we are in Genesis chapter 16. Now, there's a common term or phrase that's been going around for a little bit now. And the phrase is, I feel seen. Or it could be a variation, I feel heard. You might see it online. You might hear someone say one of those terms or phrases. And what it speaks to is the idea or the concept of the power of being noticed or represented. So you see something, whether it's in a movie, television show, songs, whatever form of media, or in an experience in life, and you see something of yourself represented in whatever that is, and you know that whoever created that was thinking of at least someone like you, if not you. You know that someone has heard or understood or seen what you're going through. And so it gives you a special assurance that comes from knowing that. And you state the words, I feel seen. It can be very easy to go through life, and many people do, feeling like no one recognizes, 
nor appreciates who you are nor what you do. This can be especially true at times for mothers, especially those that are engaged in or involved in growing a family. Cooking, cleaning, driving, counseling, budgeting, nursing, etc. are all things done by moms that are taken for granted. And today in Scripture, we will see one such mother who is used, mistreated, and discarded, believing that no one values her nor sees you see, earlier in chapter 12, and it's reaffirmed in the previous chapter 15, God established a covenant with Abram, promising to give him a great nation through him. And when things don't progress on that front according to Abram's timetable, Abram and his wife Sarai decide to take matters into their own hands, as we see here in the text. So some time has gone by since God came to Abram and he said, I'm going to give you a great nation, a great name, and a great people. I'm going to provide through you, through your line. And all of this time, Abram and his wife Sarah have known that they have not been able to have children. They've had various experiences and things along the way, and they know that up to this point, they still have not been able to produce this great name, this great nation, and this great people that God had promised to them. Remember, God had promised to them, given him their word. There was a covenant agreement that had taken place. And we see it somewhere along the line here in 16. Sarai comes to Abram and she says, look, this is God's fault that we're not having kids. He told us we were going to, but now he's the one who's keeping me from have kids, having kids. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's all his fault, but it is. So we got to figure out what we're going to do to bring this about. And so she concocts this plan that she's going to get one of her maidservants to actually become pregnant by Abram so that they can get this family line jump-started because God said it was going to happen and it hasn't happened yet, so it must be his fault. So she believes it's up to them to figure out how to get the job done. So we see here in the text that we're told that it had been 10 years that they'd been living in Canaan. So they'd gone to the place that God had told them to go. He let them know where they were going to be going, that they were on the way. And it's been 10 years, and she said, okay, 10 years enough time to wait on God because he's either forgotten or he's not good for his word or he's expecting uh, he's going to help us if we help ourselves you've probably heard that adage which actually isn't biblical at all but a lot of people think it is so but this is really Sarah's motivation God's going to help us if we help ourselves so here's what we're going to do even though it's wrong and he's told us that he's going to do it through us so she concocts this plan she works it all out she sends her maidservant in there to Abram. They make a baby, essentially. She gets pregnant. And when she gets pregnant, all is not well on the home front. Because Sarai sees Hagar one day looking at her crossways. See, that's the, the problem in the situation with Hagar is that she gets a little bit proud when she gets pregnant. And now it looks like the family line is going to come through her. And that's what we see here. Sarai says, she looked on me with contempt. Essentially, she gets proud and she says, you couldn't get pregnant, but I can. So I'm going to be the one now who's the important one here. And Sarai flips out. She goes back to Abram and she says, this is your fault. Wild, right? So she says, you need to do something about this. The reason why she said, you need to do something about this is because they got married and Hagar became one of his wives. So she was deemed as belonging to him. 
So Sarai said, look, our beef, my beef with her is not really with her, it's actually with you, because you're supposed to have her in check, because you guys are married now. So she says to him, you need to do something about this, after she had concocted the plan in the first place. and said, let's do this, and Abram also disobeying God in this situation, going along with the plan, he was equally culpable. He says, what? Whoa, hold on. But he relents a little bit. Because he says, look, even though I married her and she is my wife, she's still your servant. And somehow in their rationale, in their mind, that trumps it. So she says, look, she's still your servant, so no, this is your problem to go deal with. And I can just imagine if Hagar is within her shot going, like, they're bickering over who's going to be the one to deal with her. Well, eventually it settles on Sarai, who probably gets frustrated and goes, okay, I'll just do it myself then, because she's already presented that that's kind of how she does things sometimes. So she goes, and it says that she deals with Hagar harshly. So she, we don't know what she does, but she brings her to the point where she wants to run away. Hagar wants to run away from whatever kind of abuse she's receiving from Sarai. So she flees. She goes into what we're told is the wilderness. She finds herself by a spring of water, most likely thirsty. She's trying to get as far away from the Jerry Springer situation as she possibly can. So she kneels down by a well and is attempting to get some water when she's approached by the angel of the Lord, a representation or manifestation of God and a messenger who speaks to her. And he says to her, Hagar, the servant of Sarai, reminding her, her, situation socially here in this dynamic. He doesn't need to say that, but he does. He refers to her by name and then by status or position. And then he asks her, where are you coming from where you're going? Well, clearly he already knew, because one, he's God, and two, because he's already stated that she's a servant of Sarai. But he wants her to come to terms with the fact that she is fleeing a situation that she's supposed to be a part of. So he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where are you coming where are you headed? And she tells him, she says, look, I'm running away. That's a dumpster fire back there. And I'm in the middle of it. And I don't really know what to do. I did what I was commanded to do. And then uh, I got a bit of an attitude. And as a result, that drew some iron animosity from the lady of the house. And then she started treating me very badly. And Angel Lord tells her, simply, return to your mistress and submit to her. And then follows up says to her, take heart, because you are pregnant, and there is a line that is going to come through you. And many, many, many people as well are going to be born of you. So he tells her to go back, and he affirms it by telling her that she is, in fact, going to essentially have a great nation as well. God is going to do something through this situation. She even goes on to explain what the child is going to be like. Imagine that. If you're pregnant, an angel comes to you and tells you exactly what your kid is going to be like before they're even born. Can you even fathom that? You might be like, okay, that's like this guy. Sounds like this guy's going to be a wild one. So you want to make sure you have the child locks on and make sure there's nothing breakable and hands reach, right? So he tells her exactly what kind of dude this is going to be and what he's going to grow up to be ahead of time. And then she responds because she's comforted through this, even though she knows that she's returning to a very difficult situation. And she recognizes, though, God in this entire situation. And she says, verse 13, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have been seen by him who looks after me. 
So as we look at this text and we see how the situation plays out, and we see the different aspects of the situation, we're quickly faced with the fact that she was in a very difficult situation. Yes, there were some things that she did that didn't help matters, but ultimately she was thrust into the middle of this very difficult situation of disobedience to God. She was experiencing abuse from varying parties. She didn't know what to do, and all she thought to do was to try to run away from it and flee from it. But she learns when God comes into her life and speaks to her and comforts her, she learns when he says that God sees you when it feels like no one else does. God sees you when it feels like no one else does. So as we unpack this passage and we remember this idea that runs throughout it, we see that there are several problems that we encounter in our own lives, much like she did. The first problem that we often encounter spiritually is that we can feel like we're victims of our own circumstances. We feel like we can end up in situations, or maybe we have, or maybe you are currently in the situation where you feel like you're in the middle of it and you're just getting knocked around and you don't really know what to do. Maybe you're experiencing some kind of difficult situation with relationships or struggles or whatever, and you don't really know which end is up and part of you just wants to run away. We can feel like we're victims in the middle of those, even in times when we might do things that don't help our case, because as people who struggle with sin, even as believers, we still struggle with sin. We can be tempted to not react in the spirit and to do things that we shouldn't do and say things that we shouldn't say. And sometimes we bring difficult things upon ourselves, but often that is in the context of potentially something bigger that's going on that we're in the middle of that is very difficult. So we can feel like we're victims of those circumstances that we're in the midst of. And much like Hagar, we can feel like the only recourse is to run away from whatever the pain is. That's the second problem. Because not only can we feel like victims in our circumstances, we can feel like our only option is to try to get out of it. And that manifests itself in a myriad of ways, whether it's fight or flight or freeze. Those are all forms of trying to escape a situation. We feel like that we want to run from our pain, to try to escape it and get away from it. Much like Hagar did here, when she took off and left. And while we feel like victims in our circumstances, and we run from the pain, or at least try to, we often feel like no one sees what we're going through. So there's a, an aspect of isolation in that. Even when you're in the midst of trouble and you're dealing with difficult parties and people and there's a million people around you, you can still feel like you're going through it alone. As Hagar did. She didn't feel like she had anyone on her side in that situation. Because they were bouncing responsibility between each other. Neither one of them wanting to or willing to take responsibility for the situation and deal with it in a mature, appropriate adult way rather than re resorting to neglect and abuse, which is what both of them did to her. We feel like no one sees what we're going through. We feel alone, we feel isolated, even, even in the midst of a difficult situation that many people are involved. We can feel like we're going through it all alone, just like Hagar did. And we see that here in the text, and maybe you're going through that in your own life right now. Maybe you've either been in or in, or in the midst of a difficult situation where you feel like you're a victim of the circumstances. You want to just escape it and get away from it. And you feel like nobody understands what you're going through there, and you feel like you're going through it alone. 
But God reminds us in the text that he sees you when it feels like no one else does. So what is the solution to the problem? We know that the big idea is that God sees us when it feels like no one else does. Well, first, remembering that God knows our circumstances and cares about our struggle keeps us from despair. Remembering that God knows our circumstances and our situation is not a surprise to him. He was not surprised when uh, Abram and, and Sarai took matters into their own hands and concocted a plan outside of his will in order to try to get the job done to uh, help themselves so that he would help them, so to speak. It wasn't a surprise to him. He knew the circumstances and the situation and everything that had happened. And this is actually a bit of a trend for those who are trying to manipulate circumstances and people to accomplish God's will in their minds. He knows and he knew Hagar's circumstances and he cared about her struggle. He wanted her to not despair because he was there with her in the midst of it. And when we know that God is there with us and that he knows what's going on and that he hasn't abandoned us and that he cares about what we're going through, that encourages us and strengthens us spiritually so that we don't throw our hands in the air and give up and quit and just run away. Remembering God knows our circumstances and cares about our struggle keeps us from despair. And when we know that, then we also see, number two, the spiritual solution here, number two, is that running to God instead of away from our circumstances allows him to work through them and in us. Running to God instead of away from our circumstances allows him to work through them and in us. God was going to work through Hagar in this situation. He was going to bring about a great nation that actually would become a rival of Israel and cause them many problems in the future. Spoiler, if you haven't read ahead. There were consequences for the choices that Abram and Sarah made through a great nation of people who would be a real thorn in the side of God's people. So God, in fact, did do something through her, through the circumstances and the situation. And running to him and not away from those difficult times allows him to work through those situations. And in us, she comes to a place where she comes to know the God of Israel. Even though they would become a nation that was separate and apart from Israel, she too came to an understanding and a relationship with God, knowing that God saw her and she saw him and knew him. Running to God instead of away from our circumstances allows him to do something in those circumstances and to change us on the inside through those circumstances. It allows him to cultivate spiritual maturity. Chuck Swindoll says that spiritual maturity is often honed through the crucible of suffering, essentially. That's a paraphrase. That's not an exact quote. But it's refined in the fire of the crucible of suffering. That's where our character and our maturity comes from. And so when we run to God in our circumstances and situation, rather than from them, he grows us on the inside and matures us and then does stuff behind the scenes in order to accomplish his will through whatever that situation is. So we remember God who knows our circumstances and cares about our struggle, which keeps us from despair. We run to God instead of away from our circumstances so that he can work through them and in us. And then number three, we refocus our eyes on the one looking at us. Refocusing our eyes on the one looking at us reminds us that he is with us. 
In focusing our eyes on the one looking at us reminds us that he is with us. We see this when Hagar says, You are God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And when we take our eyes off of our circumstances and our situation, and we put them on the God who already sees us, and we look to the one who sees us already, he reminds us that he is there. And that even though it might feel like we're going through whatever it is alone, we're truly not. Because he is with us. And he knows and he cares. But it does require a choice to refocus. When we're tempted to just focus on our circumstances and situations and find a solution. And that's kind of the crux of this passage, isn't it? It's people trying to find a way to resolve a problem without God. Whether you have Abram and Sarai who try to have children apart from God, or Hagar who decides to try to do life apart from where God had her and to try to figure it out on her own by running away. That's essentially what we have here is people who are looking at their circumstances and situation and trying to find solutions that don't involve God. And God comes along and says, that's not the way to do things. And I understand how difficult this is, but I'm there, and I'm going to walk with you all through it. And I'm always there. So we know we need to remember God knows our circumstances. We need to run to him and not away from our circumstances. And we need to refocus our eyes on the one who's already looking at us. Now, there are some implications that are involved in whether or not we choose to do that. If you hear what I'm sharing tonight from God's word and what we're learning from these people, and you go, you know, I still think I can figure out a better way than God. Well, there are consequences, right? That's what we already saw here in the text, is that God brings about consequences for those choices. There are results. Things happen. Well, when we choose not to remember to run and to refocus, we're going to let our feelings motivate us, and then we're going to check out and run and ultimately miss out on blessings. Because those blessings that come through obeying God and submitting to Him in the midst of those circumstances, if we choose not to do them, and we run from them, And we miss out on what God has for us there. So she obeyed and she returned and God brought a great nation through her as a result. Now, it wasn't his people specifically, but he still brought a great nation through her. She still had a great family. But if she'd kept on running and disobeyed God, who knows what would have happened to her out there. But he had a blessing for her and she submitted and she obeyed. But when we let our feelings motivate us to check out a run, we miss out on those blessings that God has for us where he has us, even if it's in the middle of a difficult situation. However, we choose to remember that God knows that he uh, is there for us to run to and we refocus our eyes on him, some good things can happen. When we look to the one who sees us, he gives us the strength to endure and even thrive no matter what our circumstances throw our way. Because God cultivates that spiritual fruit of steadfastness in us, and patience, and long-suffering, and all this fruit of the Spirit that He wants to hone and cultivate in us. He does that when we submit to Him, and we obey when He tells us we need to be where we need to be, and we need to submit to Him. When we look to the one who sees us, we can endure, and even thrive, in the midst of whatever the difficult times and trials. Why? Because God sees you when it feels like no one else does. He sees you 
He knows and he cares. And he wants to walk through whatever it is with you. Go ahead, bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask tonight, will you look to the one who sees you already? He already knows whatever it is that you're going through or struggling with or whatever difficult situation you might have on the horizon. Will you look to the one who sees you already? If so, I want to challenge and encourage you tonight in the quietness of your heart. Thank God that he sees you and values you, even when it feels like others do not. Thank God that he sees you and values you, even when it feels like others do not. And then, Commit to serve him and others, resting in the fact that he will honor your faithfulness and reward it. Commit to serve him and others, resting in the fact that he will honor your faithfulness and reward it. Father God, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for knowing and caring what we're dealing with and going through at various points in our lives. Thank you for being a God we can run to when things are difficult and tough and we feel alone. Thank you for seeing us and strengthening us and giving us the ability to obey you even when the difficult times come. Thank you for growing us through those situations. And I ask that you remind us through your Holy Spirit as the times continue to come through life, when they do, that you see us, that you know us, and that you love us. It's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go forth to preach, teach, and reach others the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Christ Center Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.